plates are over they're overrated anyway. Well, Father, we just give you thanks and praise that you are sovereign over absolutely everything. We give you thanks and so much gratitude that you have called us and made us your own. That because we are sheep of your pasture, that you make a distinction in our lives. Your word says that you show love and mercy to a thousand generations of those who love you and keep your commandments. And I give you thanks and praise that you are teaching us how to do that. And that because we belong to you, it matters and means something in, in days like we're in. We thank you that you hear and respond to the prayers of your own. And I pray, Lord, that the prayers that went out just now, that they would be answered in Jesus' name, for your name's sake and for your glory and for your purposes. We thank you for the privilege it is to do life in community, for the opportunities that it gives us to love and and pray and hug and cry and celebrate and we just pray for more Lord more unity more clarity more of your truth guiding our steps we pray that you would unlock your word to us this morning that we would hear in the spirit understand in the spirit the spiritual things that you have We thank you for your ways being perfect. We recognize, God, that you have perfect wisdom, perfect understanding of all things, of everything. Everything we're going through right now, each of us, you have perfect understanding of it. And so we just cry out this morning uh, for our dependence on you. We depend on you in this time. We rely on you, Lord, to sanctify us by your word, to guide us by your truth. So we yield right now to the Holy Spirit inside each of us. We pray for a seed from heaven that would come and bear much fruit. In Jesus' name, amen. We have like half an empty church and half a... <laughs> All right, so here's um, a very common experience Whenever we take a break, and by that I mean the SAS family, for, one, for whatever reason, kind of steps out of our routine, God's always quick to use that time to show me something. And um, 
don't get me wrong, I'm very grateful for the routines in my life, uh, in particular the ones that God has ordained, routines like Sabbath and, and um, the gathering of the saints, they're like just anchor anchors for me spiritually, anchors for my life, um, and, and so incredibly valuable. But God is good enough that even when we're outside of those anchors, he still uses it and, and sometimes can use it in, in ways to show us things that um, maybe we'd miss otherwise. So having the last two weeks off from the routine or particular just the weekend, last weekend, um, not gathering with you all, God just used it and he used the days leading up to it and he used our time away and he used... Um, the time coming back into the routine to teach me something and as I'm, I'm going to just continue to be faithful to do, I'm going to just teach you all what he's teaching me and um, and it's all about love as we've been studying and um, in, in this revelation today is really about, it's rooted in a, a very important biblical foundation or a biblical principle that we're going to um, be reminded of first today. So let's, let's, um, let's get into this text a, a, a bit here. First one is Judges 6, 25 through 27. Someone want to read that for us? Okay, so what's the context here? Who's Gideon? Anyone remember? Israelite. Yeah. And who and who was coming against them? Midianites. Yep. Yeah. So the Midianites are coming against them. God's getting ready to um, deliver them. This is the routine and the pattern throughout the book of Judges. Whenever a judge steps into um, God's position for them, the children of Israel obey, return to God, walk in his ways, um, keep his commandments, and they experience peace. And often they overcome their adversary. Uh, and then as soon as that judge dies, they fall back uh, away from God. They forsake him, start worshiping idols, and they start getting raided and plundered and beaten down. So this is just the pattern in Judges. It's a roller coaster that carries on for a few hundred years. Gideon is just a perfect example of what the scriptures call a judge, which is really just a leader. And um, what God asks Gideon to do, this is like the, the initial invitation into his assignment. So God literally has just come to Gideon 
and he's getting ready to call him into position. And that position is ultimately going to be to lead the Israelites to, to defeat the Midianites. But he does something first. And this is the first instruction he gives Gideon. And what is the instruction? Tear down a false idol, a false, an, an altar to a false god. And um, I, love how, I love how God does this. He says, um, by the way, don't only tear down the altar, but, but break it up and use the wood to burn, to sacrifice something to me. I just think that's cool. So Gideon does this. And I share this example to begin reminding us of a biblical principle that God always works within. And um, another great reminder is in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 10. Someone, someone find and read that for me. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 10. It's again right when Jeremiah is being called to his position and God um, reminds Jeremiah and us through Jeremiah of how God always works. So what's he tell the prophet in, in chapter 1, verse 10? And how have we studied and, and what have we learned from this passage already? What is the principle, kingdom principle, that, that, that this assignment and this specific verse illustrates? What are you going to say, Susie? The order. The order of how God establishes something the order of how god works the the order of how god builds right and the order is always what yeah. remove first and then build up and that's the kingdom principle it's always subtraction first before addition right another example that we used just a couple of weeks ago was Josiah in 2 Kings 23, you guys remember that? Josiah takes the throne at a very young age, and the first thing he does is what? He goes into the temple, he finds the book of the law, he reads the book of the law, and he sees the principle of God, the ways of God, the order of God, the demands of God the expectations of God, and that leads him to do what? Completely cleanse the temple of all the idols that were presently being worshipped in the idol. And then he goes outside of the temple, and the Bible says he goes to every high hill and every spreading tree and every valley, and he tears down all of the places of false worship. So he, he literally cleanses the land of everything false, fake, Worshipping of other gods because this is how God works. And this is a principle of how God establishes anything. It's always root out and pull down, destroy and tear down, then you plant and build. It's always subtraction before addition. Go with me to 
there's two reasons why I'll, I'll just share you this real, real quick. Deuteronomy chapter 7. One of the reasons in which God does this, remember God's wisdom is perfect. His understanding, divine, eternal, and perfect. God knows it has to be this way. And why it has to be this way, he actually shares us at least a couple of the reasons. Chapter 7 of Deuteronomy. This is the instruction to the Israelites as they're, as they're moving into the promised land. He says in, in verse 2, um, after he says, you're going to go in and, and, and um, cast out the many nations that go before you. There's seven of them. He says, and, and, then the, and when the Lord deliver, and when the Lord your God delivers them over to you, you shall conquer them and utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them or show them any mercy, nor shall you make marriages with them. And this is why, nor shall you give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons. Verse 4, for they, for they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. So the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly. Thus you shall deal with them. You shall destroy their altars, break down their sacred pillars, cut down their wooden images, and burn their carved images with fire. Go to chapter 12 with me. What's one of the reasons why God says subtract first if you don't subtract what's going to happen your hearts are going to get turned back listen to me this is god's wisdom this is god's perfect understanding for you and for me whenever god wants to build something in your life whenever god wants to do something new in your life it's always going to be a subtraction before an addition why? Because the things that are being subtracted, if you try and keep them, they're going to be a snare to you. They're going to turn your heart back. Another thing that they're going to do, or another reason why this is the case, is he, he shares in chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. These are the statutes and the judgments we should, which you shall be careful to observe in the land which the Lord your God, the God of your fathers, is giving you to possess all the days that you live on the earth. You shall utterly destroy all the places where the nations which you shall dispossess served their gods on the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree. You shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, burn their wooden images with fire. You shall cut down the carved images of their gods and destroy their names from that place. Verse 4, you shall not worship the Lord your God which, with such things. Another reason that you subtract before you add is because the God of the Bible is very specific about how he is going to be worshipped. About what you can use or do to worship him. And one of the things that he says specifically, not just in this text, but over and over and over, is you will never worship me with the things used to worship idols. This is why it's got to be subtracted. And why the subtraction has to be so thorough. Right, this is a hard text for some people to read. Because it says when you go into the land, you've got to kill it all. In these same instructions, he says, you kill every man, woman, child, and animal of the nations that you are being commanded to dispossess. They got to be completely cleansed. Why? Because if you don't subtract, 
you're going to have your hearts turned and you're going to try and connect me to the things that you won't remove. That's why. That's why this is a kingdom principle. That's why whenever God is doing something, it's always subtraction before addition. All the scriptures, in particular in the Old Testament, point to the gospel. Right? All of these stories which are true, all of the writings of Moses, the prophets, it all points to the gospel. We know that. So all of these principles help us understand principles of the gospel. The heart of the gospel message is a death and a rebirth, is it not? Listen to me, God's sharing with us a kingdom principle that it's always subtraction before it's addition. That everything that does not belong to God, that does not honor God, that is at odds with God, that is contrary to God, that is an enemy of God, all of that has to be removed. Then something can be planted and grown. So the, that whole principle points to the gospel. Right? In the, in the, in the gospel truth, the, the, the heart of the gospel invitation has always been the death of the old man and the new birth of the new man, is it not? It's specifically why Jesus says in John chapter 3, ye must be born again. God has not been and never has been in the interest, interested or in the business of cleaning up the flesh a little bit, of polishing up the old man to be a little bit better. That is not the gospel, saints. The gospel is the flesh must die for the spirit to be born. The old has got to be completely cleansed in order for something new to come. They can't be mixed. The old man and the new man cannot be mixed. The spirit and the flesh are at odds with each other. So this principle points to the gospel entirely. But what's beautiful about it is that it also points to sanctification perfectly. Because in, in, in the primary, in Jesus' primary teaching on sanctification, John 15, what's he teach? What must happen before more fruit can come? Got to prune. Right? Isn't that what John 15 teaches us? I am the vine, you are the branches. My father is the vine dresser. He, he prunes every branch that does not bear fruit. And why does he do that? Because it's a kingdom principle. You've got to subtract before you can add. It's the way God's always been. Think about his primary teachings, Jesus' primary teachings on discipleship. 
one of the primary things that Jesus says about discipleship, which is following him, is what, what must happen to your old life? It's got to die. He says your old life has to die. That's the only way. In fact, he says if you try and drag along your old life, what are you going to miss? The new life that he has for you. Like, I remember God gave me a, a vision one time of literally me trying to drag a dead, my own dead body behind me, like kind of chained to me or something. He's like, that's what, that's what it's, that's what it's going to be like to try and follow me if you don't recognize this kingdom principle. What's the principle? You got you to gotta cut the old. The old can't come. The old can't mix. Everything that dishonors God's got to be removed first. Then something new can be planted. So remember, God used the last two weeks to teach me something. And one of the, it was, it was a question that I was, that I was led to ask. And in order for God to appropriately answer the question for me, he brought this truth, the memory of this principle back to me. This principle that we've talked about many times. The principle that we all if you spent any time in the word, recognize that this is how God works. He does not allow mixing. He says specifically, you're either going to worship the gods on this side of the river or you're going to worship me on that side of the river. He says, you can either be hot or you can be cold, but don't be both. He says, if you do try and mix, your heart's just going to get turned back. If you try and keep your old life, you're just going to flounder. You're going to miss the new thing that I have for you. So the, the way of the flesh, the way of the sin has got to be put to death. That's the metaphor for it. That's the practice for this principle. There is no mixing. Second Corinthians two six. Go there with me. Someone pre please read fourteen through eighteen. Second Corinthians. This is to the church. What, what are you reading? Uh, 
Oh, I'm sorry. Six, Second Corinthians chapter 6, 14 through 16. No, 14 through 18. Sorry, Bonnie. Second Corinthians chapter 6, 14 through 18. I will repeat. This is to the church. This is Paul. Actually, this is the Holy Spirit through Paul writing to you and I. Through 18, please. So what God wants and what God demands of his people and what God has made an absolutely impossible, beautiful way to have happen is he wants purity. He wants holiness. He desires for his own to be completely separated from the things that dishonor him and aren't from him or for him or by him. And so the principle is always, has always been for the people of God, you gotta eliminate all the things that are dishonoring to me so that then I can build up in you what I have. The kingdom order is always to root out and pull down, destroy, and throw down, then build and plant. It's always subtraction before addition. It's always pruning before the fruit can come. It's just a biblical principle. To point to and better help us understand the gospel invitation and the truth that you must be born again, and to help us understand sanctification. Because the sanctification process is almost always pruning, is it not? The ministry of the Holy Spirit in our life, if we have the courage to listen, is almost always going to be, that's not for you anymore. 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 That's an idol. That's fake. That's false. That's a deception. That's a tradition. That's how they worship their gods. And I won't receive it. And if you continue to drag that thing along with you, all that's going to happen is it's going to have your heart. And then you're going to create a false me that says you can have both. And the Bible says, nope, you can't. Or you're going to create a false me that says, okay, I'll receive that as worship. Not according to the scriptures. So to protect us, saints, from trying to connect God to things that he will never honor or that will never be fruitful or that he will never see as worship or that will always continue to only be a snare to us. He just gives us these principles. It keeps us from creating false gods. 
false gods that allow us to use just the desires of our flesh and call it worship. Which every other false god does. Everyone remember this principle. Everyone clear on this principle. Because I was reminded of this principle when I asked a question over the last two weeks. And the question came, um, basically because of two things that <laughs> I just really believe the Lord put in front of me. And um, the first one I'm sure all of you saw, and it was that someone that we know is fighting for her life with COVID. And um, I was at work when I, when I saw it, I saw it on Facebook. And, um, you know, it just got, it just got super real. Not, not even, um, morning Naomi. Not even, um, not even specifically the COVID thing um, got real, but, but um, death, you know, the reality of death was just brought close for a moment. And, um, you know, for the believer, death is not to be feared. And um, I think I'm at a place in my, in my faith that I can say I don't have a fear of death. And I'm, and I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful to have an eternal perspective. Um, so, so, so I was moved um, into deep emotion, but it wasn't, it wasn't emotion, it wasn't fear. Fear wasn't the emotion. It was just a, um, a coming, once again, coming to grips with the reality of death. And, um, And the reality that, that death is ordained by God. The scriptures teach Hebrews, what is it? Hebrews uh, 9.27. It's appointed for men to die once and after that comes judgment. And appointed in that verse means, um, it's the idea of a, a reservation. We each have a reservation with death. We each have a reservation with death, according to the scriptures. And sometimes when, um, when something like that is put in front of you, something like this, what we're all dealing with is put in front of us, um, it actually can be super helpful and super beneficial to be reminded that, is it, that it is appointed for each of us to die, that God has already chosen a time and a place for each of us to die. I was sharing this with the kids last night. Um, I can't remember the war. I want to say it was the Civil War. But there was a, an American, I think he was a general, um, that they, 
His nickname was Stonewall Jackson. Yeah. You guys ever heard of him? Yeah. Was it Andrew Jackson? I can't remember if it was or not. Um, history was a long time ago. <laughs> but I know it was a, an actual American um, soldier, general, I believe. And, and his nickname was Stonewall Jackson. And, it's, and it was literally because um, literally in the middle of firefights, this guy, this guy would sit on his horse and sit right in the front of the battle. Like usually the generals or the leaders, you know, the, the officers would all hide in the back more or less and, and all the soldiers would be up front shooting each other. And this guy literally would just sit on his horse and ride right to the front and, and did it so often they called him Stonewall. And, and when he was asked why he did that, his response was, my belief is that God Almighty has already established a time and a place for my death, so I don't concern myself with it. Which is a, that's beautiful faith. And I believe that as well, that God has established a time and a place for my death. In fact, I believe he's established a time and a place for all of our deaths. So when I saw someone that we know is fighting for her life. And actually it was just, it was just, I think it was literally the same day. Um, I found out that Snow was in real critical condition too. Is he still doing better? But two people I know all of a sudden, literally on ventilators and on in, in fighting for their life. I didn't know anyone prior to that week that was that personal of a connection that was fighting for their life. And so it was just a, it was like, um, I, I always think that one of the most unique things about the Passover story, which is given to us entirely to help us understand the gospel invitation. Um, one of the most unique things about the Passover story, I always thought was that God came to through Moses to the Israelites and basically gave them a revelation of an imminent death that was coming. You know, he, he literally said midnight tonight, or uh, he didn't say it that day, so it was, it was prior to, but he told them midnight on a certain night, death is coming. Imminent, unstoppable, certain death. And because of that, the people acted, you know, they, they responded in obedience because they had this revelation that death was coming. And, and I think that was sort of part of what I was experiencing, just this, just this remembering and this re-focusing um, on the reality that death is coming. Imminent and unstoppable, appointed by the sovereign God for each of us. And it didn't move me to fear. It moved me to, um, frankly, put my wife in that position. That was, that was how God was ministering to me. It was, all right, now instead of picturing this person on a ventilator fighting for her life, now it's Diane. And, um, and, and as I was, and I think it's because it was Diane's birthday, but I just think about Diane all the time anyway, so it's not unusual for, for, for her to be put in that position. 
Um, but it it changed it for me. It it changed. It made it more serious. Uh, and it and it and it, and again did not add any fear. It was just okay. If what what would it feel like? How would I respond if it was my wife fighting for her life? If my wife's life was in the ba- hanging in the balance, and I didn't know whether or not I was going to have her anymore. And it was. Um, I believe it was literally the same day that I saw another um, post on Facebook that just moved me. And this one moved me literally so much that it moved me to tears in my, <laughs> in the shop I was working in. And, um, and it was just the timing of the two, the timing of, of the first followed immediately by the timing of the second that had so much impact and and it was um something you guys some of you all maybe even uh saw it but it was a um it was just a facebook post that uh included a picture and i don't know if you guys can see the picture but it's basically a looks like a very old couple with the the woman laying on a couch and, the, and her husband kneeling on the ground next to her holding her hand. I don't know, can you see that? Sort of. So this comes up on my feed right after I find out and have all this going through my mind already. And, um, and under the picture it says this. Can never read this. It says, she says, don't call the doctor. I just want to fall asleep peacefully with your hand in mine. And then he told her about the past, how they met, their first kiss. Neither of them cried. They actually smiled. They didn't regret anything. They were grateful. And she repeated softly, I will love you forever. And he returned her words and gave her a soft kiss on her forehead. And she closed her eyes and fell asleep peacefully with her hand in his. And underneath it says, love is what matters because man comes into this world with nothing other than love and he leaves with nothing other than love. Your profession, your career, your bank accounts, all of our goods, they're just tools and nothing more. Everything stays here. And it finishes by saying love as if there was nothing more important in your life to do. So I praise God, by the way, for um, for Him just using things to to teach me and to open my eyes and to encourage me and to correct me and to inspire me 
And so when I was in that place of being reminded that death is imminent and being reminded how quickly it can come, how suddenly it can come, being reminded that if it was his will and his timing, it could be my wife in that position or one of my kids in that position. And how desperately in that moment I would want to experience what, what, what I just read. No regrets. No fear. Nothing but gratitude. For the life that we had. And the Lord just reminded me there's only one thing that will lead to having no regrets. There's only one. And it's love. Love is everything. So I got to go away with my family, with this just resonating with me and staying with me. And like I said, we got to go camp for two days and just experience love. Just togetherness. And I honor Michael and Darlene because those two love. They love each other and they love people. And it's beautiful to be around. And I came back from our trip with conviction And the conviction was really, I gotta love more. I gotta love as I would desire one more day with my wife if I lost her. How would I love her if I had one more day after she was gone? That's the kind of love I gotta move. That's the kind of love I gotta have. That's the kind of love that will lead to no regrets and nothing but gratitude. So I just prayed and asked God, how do I love more? And guess what he told me? 
subtraction before addition. Uproot, tear down, destroy, and throw down, then plant and grow. You prune before more fruit comes. So that's what flooded my spirit as an answer when I ask God how do I love more and as Jesus teaches regarding the Holy Spirit all of a sudden the Spirit just reminded me of so many scriptures he's taught us so many truths so many stories so many so much instruction it all just flooded my my mind perfectly it's how God works and it's Eric love is the ultimate expression of the divine nature that I'm teaching you you can partake in love is the ultimate experience of the resurrected life that I'm teaching you is available It is the ultimate priority in the kingdom. Paul says it's greater than faith and hope. Jesus says it is the ultimate witness by which the world will know you are my disciples. And all of those texts are truth. But what opened my heart to that truth was a silly post on Facebook. Of an old couple on an ugly couch. In a situation I could picture my wife or one of my kids in. And a clarity and a conviction about what we prayed for on Pentecost. Hallelujah. We prayed to love each other, didn't we? We prayed to walk in love. Supernatural, impossible, agape love. Love that is an act of will, a decision and an intention. And after all that emotion and all that Remembrance and all that conviction. The answer to the question, how do you love more, is you subtract. So it's there we will pick up next week.
and you have homework. And that's to read 1 John chapter 3, 10 through 23. That text is titled The Imperative of Love. Imperative means the absolute necessity. Father, we just thank you for the goodness of your ways. We thank you that you are love. That the ultimate expression of your nature is love. That love is what we are called to that love is what we were created for, that love is what we've been purchased for, that love is our true identity, that love is home, that love is everything. And Father, as our heart's desire is to love more, to never miss a moment, to never squander an hour or a day or a week or a month or years. Lord, we don't want to squander a minute. We pray to be empowered from on high to love. And you have answered, you are answering that prayer. You have answered that prayer. And I give you thanks and praise for the wonderful ways that you are answering. And your word says that when we delight in you that you give us the desires of our heart, Lord. And our heart's desire is to love you more. Our heart's desire is to love each other more. My heart's desire is to love my spouse more and my kids more and this congregation more. My heart's desire is to not regret a moment, to not waste a moment, to not squander any opportunities. My heart's desire is to never be distracted, never be focused on the wrong things, never be looking the wrong direction. So we pray, Father, for wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God regarding what in each of our lives needs to be subtracted that we might love more. We pray and ask and rely on your Holy Spirit to bring clarity to each of us, the things that are no longer for us, the things that are keeping us from love. And I pray, Lord, for the courage to respond to what you show us.
in Jesus' name. Amen.